0: of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at Today's
1: reading uh, scripture comes from Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 1-7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the word of the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2, 1-10 My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You may be seated.
0: And as you're being seated, I I will pray. Lord, we thank you today for these texts. We thank you for the transformative power that you have ordained in these texts for us this morning. So Lord, I ask that you give us uh, insight and wisdom uh, to understand uh, and to deal with this topic that we call community and isolation. So in this we pray, amen. Well, good morning, my name is Heath. I'm part of the team here at Christ City. It's been a while since I've seen some of you. in the last month since I've seen you, my daughter had a baby, so I'm like grandpa. And so I will refrain. I'll refrain from like 700 grandpa jokes in here, okay? Because my, every fiber of my being wants to like assume the role. So I, I, will, I will refrain. So as we get going here, I have a disclaimer. And, and we have to take this serious. I have literally spent half of my life, 25 years, thinking and hyper-focused on two specific questions. The first question is, how do people change? That's not a small question, is it? And the second question is, like, how is authentic community formed? So these questions have literally taken me across the world, lived in another country. I've lived in a hyper-left-wing kind of anarchist community, sort of what community looks like there. And it is the very reason why I live and I work on the downtown east side. So today, as is... As these two topics and these two questions merge into one subject that we're going to look at this morning, I promise you, my promise to you is that I will do my best that you do not have to drink from the fire hose, that it is my brain. I will try not to give you 25 years worth of rabid, rabbit trails in my head so that you can actually something have legible and and understand as you walk out here. Because yeah, you may have guessed, I have ADHD. So that's my promise to you. So are you ready? Are your seats in the upright position and your table's up? You ready? Okay. So the perceived question that we have to answer this morning is this. How does the book of Proverbs impact our lives and our communities? What tips and tricks does this ancient document full of these weird kind of opposite antithetical statements, what, what tips and tricks does this book give for us to help us flourish in our communities? What wisdom does Proverbs give us As we interact with those people that sometimes we like and sometimes we don't like, what wisdom do we have as we interact with those people in proximity to us? Might I postulate this this morning, everything and in every way. This topic of community and isolation that we're going to look at this morning, it acts as a summary of the whole book. So if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs for all summer. And so might I suggest that every single topic that we've looked at is actually couched in this idea of community, whether it's parenting. Whether it's our sex lives, whether it's you know, trust and, and humi- humility, whether it's our anger and our restraint and our anger, whether it's our diligence or whether we act slothfully sometimes, whether it's honesty and deception, contentment, greed, our decision making, friendship, enmity. The topic of community, I, I think, and I'm going to postulate, and I will pretty argue forcefully, it is not combo, supersize number four combo on the behavioral menu. It's not a Big Mac. I would say that this topic of community in Proverbs is the menu. It is the menu. How, then, are we as people before God, how are we to relate to those around us in community? See, all the topics that we've looked at all summer, all of these, have we, there's been postulated that, that we have two ways to respond. We have two ways to live. We can, we can actually go, okay, we can actually walk in wisdom and in righteousness or we can walk in foolishness and wickedness. So I say this question impacts everything that we do in every way. So the real question we actually have to look at this morning is, why do we have so much trouble with it then? Right? Why does community feel so much like a dysfunctional family reunion? You know, I may put the fun in dysfunctional, but but why do we all feel this way? Why is it, as a Christian, if we call ourselves a Christian this morning, why is it that we can believe right things and somehow lack wisdom and lack righteousness in our relationships? Why? And that's the question we have to look at this morning. So Christ said, Solomon's words for us here this morning are for us as well. I'm going to reread our text, our first text, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. This, these are for us this morning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealings. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon's words here are for us this morning. We, we functionally, we are the simple. We don't think we are, right? Like, we think, ah, we're the wise, we're the ones that give instruction, we, we've got it all figured out. But no, in reality, we are a people that are simple, and we need the wise instruction. That Proverbs gives. We need the knowledge that's contained in this ancient document. We need wisdom that Proverbs teaches. Because as we walk into the ethical gray areas of our life, our jobs, our parenting, we need to have confidence in dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. We need relational skill. We need the fear of the Lord. Full stop. Bruce Walkie, he's a, he's a theologian. He, he taught at Regent College. He's probably one of the you know, most insightful people to work through, through the book of Proverbs. And, and as an old guy, he's got lots of wisdom to give. And he says this. I find this kind of really compelling, personally. Wisdom in Proverbs, and its correlative term righteousness, so wisdom and righteousness, is all about being rightly related to God, to other human beings, to all creatures, and to the environment. Whew, try and saying that to my hometown in Alberta, right? The wisdom and knowledge that our technological culture has lost is found in the book of Proverbs. The conceptualization of righteousness should be subsumed under the umbrella concept of doing what is right in a social relationship as defined by God's standard of what is right behavior. In sum... If a person is wise, he or she is righteous. If wicked, they are fools. Skillful living, then, is invariably doing what is right. See, Walkie argues that in Proverbs, wisdom and knowledge is about doing what is right in relationship to those who are around us not the ones that we just like, right? Wisdom and righteousness in the book of Proverbs is equivalent to the Old Testament saying or the Mosaic teaching of love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard of that one before, right? This is what Proverbs teaches us here. And I really, I, I wish I could meet Bruce Walker, but he, in a cheeky, really kind of clever way, he coins a proverb about the book of Proverbs. How meta is that, right? And this is his saying, and you've probably heard a thousand times in every single sermon, and every Sunday, and his his proverb about Proverbs is this. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. Let me read that again. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. So the real question we have to deal with this morning is, why do we have so much trouble disadvantaging ourselves in our relationships? And to answer that question, I think Proverbs gives us a whole other way to live. So our outline for this morning will be pretty simple. It's the mirage of community, death in isolation, and oasis of wisdom. Now, this summer... I had the opportunity to uh, go to Denver. I had a speaking gig there. And instead of being a normal person and flying, I thought it would probably be the most logical thing to do to, as to ride my motorcycle there. You know, 6,000 kilometers, wind in my hair, so to speak. So at some point in the middle of July, I found myself riding through Moab, Utah. And it's like over 40 degrees Celsius. And I'm thinking, If I could have ridden naked, I probably would. It was so hot. Sorry for that mental image. Just imagine, Heath, my face, I'm blistered, I'm peeling. My nose literally was purple. I would look like some Sesame Street character. It was purple, I was sunburned, and as I was riding in the midday heat, something interesting happened that I'd never experienced before. My eyes were drawn to the dancing heat waves coming off the tarmac. And as I rode, I became mesmerized. I was sucked in. And and I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And at some point, I began to lose focus. And I I had troubles determining depth perception and figuring out where the road was and where the ditch was. And it was about there that I hit my first bird of the trip with my head. Yeah, it was about 130 kilometers an hour. Bird didn't make it. The point is this. Sometimes we can't see the road from the heat coming off. We see things that aren't there. We can't distinguish the community that we form from what it should be. We are unable to see the danger right in front of us. And for many of us, community is a mirage that we walk into wholeheartedly, unable to see the peril ahead of us. And we're And many times it's because we've been wounded by past experiences. I'm just going to state, we've probably all hit a few birds with our heads before we walked in here in a community concept. To be clear, some of you have walked in here broken by community. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we also have to know that this universal need, this universal need to belong... This desire for authentic community is real. It's put there by God. The longing is real. The need is real. Yet simultaneously, in real time, on the ground, our belonging and our community feels unrealized, doesn't it? It's like a societal mirage, not a massage, a mirage. It's an itch that can't be scratched. Something that we all long for, yet it feels fickle elusive, ethereal, like sand through our hands. And for many of us, community doesn't feel like a cocktail by the beach. Community feels like heat exhaustion, sunburn, covered with the bird that we just hit with our head. And that's the dissonance that we feel with community. Maybe it's just me, but that's the mirage. See, the the reason we feel so much frustration Confusion and unmet expectations with community is that we're blinded by the optical illusion on the horizons of our lives as we ride forward. We are unable to see the real thing because there's a mirage there. And that's the real reason why Proverbs begins the way it does. In our text, two to five again, to know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise healing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. This is how it begins. The author understands this distortion. The distortion that we walk in is a mirage, and he pleads with the simple. That's us. He pleads with the simple, calling us to be trained, to know wisdom, and to receive instruction. To have skill to do the right thing In community, we need this guidance. We need the wisdom. We need the knowledge. We need the relational skill to help us navigate through the mirage. Now, part of the optical illusion is this by default, we think, and as we long for community, I know in your mind, you're thinking this weird utopia. So we think, okay, we've got the weird utopia as it should be over here, and we think the opposite of that. Is loneliness and isolation that we feel on a day to day. And we get stuck in the middle of this. And that's all or nothing thinking. And that's not what Proverbs shows us. Proverbs shows us something very different. See, the guidance that Proverbs gives us, it's clarity. For good or for will, for ill, this is what Proverbs tells us. That we all form community by default. We form community by default. That's what we do. That's what humans do. We, we build communities. We create cultures. We build societies. We like to have all the rules. The whole Bible shows us this truth. From Babel to Babylon, we build community. Proverbs doubles down here and, said, and he pleads with us to say, we either choose to walk in wisdom and right community, and we build right community, one that's for the sake of the other, or we build and entertain and grow in community that's wicked, that's at the expense of the other either we live for ourselves or we live for the other that's the contrast that proverbs gives us not this sort of dialectic of you know isolation versus community no po- proverbs here contrasts wise community with foolish community you know and i say it out loud it's like yeah duh he no get i get it we instinctively know this to be true but that's the thing of the mirage we know it's true but it's, we still have our perceptions distorted, don't we? And Proverbs here pleads with us for, to listen to instruction. It, it calls to us. It beckons to us. It hearkens to give for wisdom and for relational skill. It begs us to live for the other and build wise community rather than for the sake of ourself. See, the whole premise of Proverbs is that we need to be disciplined in this skill in wisdom, and that is to create a righteous community. That's it. That's the whole point of Proverbs. Now, I've lived on the downtown east side for a number of years now, and I've seen, you know, you may have heard of what's happened. There, there's been a few street sweeps since I've been there. And what a street sweep does is, you know, you know what happens is a tent city pops up, and, and it stays there for a while, and... and, and you know, we can look from the outside and we can go, oh, wow, like there's, there's lawlessness, there's hygiene issues, there's a fire hazard. Like this last year, it was before this last street sweep, it was pretty interesting. One night, I think I heard like five or six propane bottles explode. So there's real danger there, right? And so, so the city realizes, oh boy, we have to do something about it. But when the cleanup is done, <laughs> when all of the city crews have evaporated, we won't get into dialoguing how that happens. But you know what the cry on the street is? You know what the cry on the street is? It'll surprise you. It's one of fractured and lost community. Think about that. Food can be sourced. I don't think there's a shortage of food on the downtown east side. There's no shortage of drugs because <laughs> drugs can be scored on the downtown east side. Places to sleep are offered... Yes, there is a shortage of housing and and, and adequate uh, places to sleep, but what is lost, what is felt most acutely, is a sense of community that's lost. And that is the real tragedy of the whole thing. See, the communities that are formed, they're real. They're not fake. They're not healthy, as Proverbs would define them, but they're they're not fake. They're real. And in the desperation of addiction, homelessness, poverty, you fill in the blanks. You grow close to one another as you struggle along. And over time, community is formed. And when that is forcibly ripped from you, there's a loss. How many of you here this morning walked in having had community ripped from you, whether it's a relational break or whether it's somebody did something and now you have fractured relationship? There's a loss and we have to lament that. The downtown east side shows us that in real time. See, the downtown east side, what's lost is community. And the allure, the allure of that is their safety in community. For good or for ill, there's safety in community. And, and this is the very thing that Proverbs warns us against. In Proverbs 5, verses 1 to 14, it, it kind of highlights this principle for us. It says, My son, It's like, to the simpleton, essentially. Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near to the door of her house, lest you give your honor to another. Let your ear, Let your ears to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. See, this This text is often looked at as about prostitution and and adultery and, and, and sexuality. But there's a profound thing for us. It shows the gift that it gives us, the gift that the downtown seaside can highlight for us, is this kind of honesty. It exemplifies what Proverbs shows us here. The ability to see the road through the mirage of the forbidden lips dripping sweet with honey. The easy way. The downtown east side gives us an opportunity to look at ourselves rather than vilifying a people group. It gives us the opportunity to look at ourselves and understand if we are not intentional and and disciplined on the path of wisdom, by default, we will fall prey, just like everybody else, to the smooth words of the forbidden. Without wisdom, without relational skill, we create communities based upon our own weaknesses and our own dysfunctionality. If we are not attentive, Proverbs teaches us that we will fall prey and we will create ten cities of our own, of our own sin. Our addictions, they may not be meth, fentanyl, crack cocaine, but let me tell you, in the end, they are just as destructive. So without the path of wisdom that Proverbs speaks to us here, we are broken and we build wicked communities Based upon the very things that we struggle with. And in the end, we will say, just like some of my friends have said to me, Heath, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The mirage, the illusion that we live with is that, you see, the reason why we have troubles with communities, because somehow we think that the communities that we build are not dysfunctional. We think that the, the people that we interact with, we don't actually deal in sin. We somehow think that, in part, this, this wickedness that Proverbs warns about, yeah, that's not for me. We live as, th- as though we were immune. See, once we see the mirage for what it truly is, it's then we can see our second point, death in isolation. Proverbs seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." So when we see that we build community for good or for ill, right? Okay, you with me? Either we build in wise ways or in foolish ways. In chapter 1 here, we see that if we listen to instruction, if we gain wisdom, if we gain insight, we see then in verse 7 here, the result is the fear of the Lord, which leads to knowledge. The fear of the Lord leads to knowledge. We've already defined this this knowledge as relational skill. Therefore, if being in right relationship with God leads to the ability to have relation skill, relational skill with the others, to be in right relationship with others, then the question begs to ask is, what happens actually,, you know, for those who despise this wisdom, those who blow off this instruction? What happens to those who do not have relational skill? You guys following me? And I was a lot of a weird, twisted back. So if my ability here to be right in relationship with other wisdom is directly related to the relationship that I have with God, fear of the Lord, then what happens when we despise wisdom and instruction? Well, I think it's death. I think it's isolation. I think it's isolation. You see, that's the other gift that the downtown east Side can give us is we see this principle on full display and we think we aren't the same. Proverbs says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if being in right relationship with God leads to the ability to be in right relationship with those around us, the inverse is also true. Isolation then goes against sound judgment and is a byproduct of fractured relationship in wicked or foolish communities stemming from a broken relationship with God. Now, there's this interesting construct, it's a social theory called self-determination theory. It tries to explain on a, on a huge macro level human motivation, as if we could surmise that in three phrases, but apparently we can. Essentially, it, it gives us an answer to what Proverbs teaches. And the idea is this, that we as humans need three basic psychological needs that motivate our behavior, and they give us, a, you know, the, the nutrients in the petri dish to have a wonderful, psychologically healthy life. Okay, all that mama jumbo. this is it. We as humans need three things. The first one is we need to feel value. We need to have competence in what we do. This is our purpose. We need to have a, a good purpose, because if we don't have a good purpose in our life, we struggle. The second thing we need is we need to have, and we need to live in a sense of self-worth. We need to have a realized autonomy. If you are enslaved. You don't have a realized autonomy and you, and you are depressed, right? Makes sense, right? The last thing that we need to feel, though, is we need to be connected as humans to one another. We have this overwhelming need to belong. So the question begs to be asked is, what happens if you've got three things kind of in this weird balance? What happens when you elevate one or two of those things over the other? Stands to reason that if you do that, the others suffer. Now... I know it's hard to believe looking at me, but as a kid with uh, undiagnosed ADHD, I spent like four hours a day in the gym as a kid. And so there's always this one guy. You know who he is, right? It's a caricature. And he looks like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He is like jacked. He's built. He's stuffed. He's got no neck. And he's like walking around, eh, give me that weight. You know, that's Arnold. But anyway, you, you know the guy. It's a caricature, right? But then what happens when he steps out from the bench press machine and what do you see? He's got like pencil supermodel legs. You look at this guy and you know, oh, from the waist up he's Dwayne Johnson, from, you know, from the waist down, whew, here's a dude that's forgotten leg day. He forgot to work out his legs. Okay, you can laugh, it's okay. See, this dude clearly has forgotten leg day. Christ City, my point is this. Exactly, good, thanks for the laugh, I needed that. We are a culture We are a society. We are a church that's forgotten leg day. Why do we have troubles with Community Christ City? Because inside the church, we are no different. We've forgotten leg day. Now, I was reading a book some time ago. It's called Tribe. It's by a journalist, author, Sebastian Younger, and he's exploring uh, this human need to belong. And particularly... The human need to belong with corresponding rates of depression, PTSD, with soldiers coming back from war, declining mental health, even to the rates of suicide. And his observation is this. He says, Modern society seems to emphasize extrinsic values such as status, money, and beauty over intrinsic ones. As a result, we suffer the effects of isolation. Now, this whole book is interesting. It explores the effects of isolation on our culture from a secular perspective. It's pretty interesting. Culturally, the extrinsic values of who we are and what we do overshadow our intrinsic need to belong. And as a result, we suffer. We suffer in isolation, and that isolation pragmatically, anecdotally, results in higher rates of depression and possibly even thoughts of self-harm. I won't tell you how many conversations I've had in the past three years. And most of those are not people who called the downtown Eastside home. It's you guys. You see, we as a people, we as a culture, we're a church that's forgotten leg day. We have elevated extrinsic things connected to our autonomy. And as a detriment, our belonging suffers. The unfortunate thing is that The results are far, far worse than just looking stupid in a Speedo. It's isolation and it's death. It's why we can talk about community. We can strategize about ways we can integrate and foster and grow community. It's why we can sit here this morning, be surrounded by supposedly healthy community and feel so alone. We've forgotten leg day, Christ City. And we feel the effects of isolation even in our Christian community. So when you forget lag day and you elevate autonomy and competence over the need for the belonging, our orientation, this is it, our orientation and outlook shifts from one of the community to one of me and my well-being. My protection becomes paramount. And unfortunately, that's at the expense of the other person. That's why we have troubles with community, Christ City. See, when we elevate autonomy and competence over the need for our belonging, our orientation shifts from disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of the other to disadvantaging others for the sake of ourselves. Proverbs says that skipping leg day is foolish and wicked. There's a text in Proverbs 6 that's always fascinated me. It's kind of like a... It's like, kind of like a vice list. You know, you, you look in the New Testament, you see all these do's and don'ts stuff lists, right? Well, there's one in Proverbs that's kind of fascinating. It's punchy, it's strong, it's on the nose, it's pretty absolute. And it's somewhat surprising of what's contained there. And so Proverbs 6, 16, it starts like this. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And then there comes this list, right? And I've always wondered why these things. Why these seven things? Why are these an abomination to the Lord? Why? And I thought about it a long, long time. This is my conclusion. I think it's because these particular things decimate community. They de- destroy relationships. It's like a, an Oppenheimer-style nuclear holocaust on our social environment. Why is that? Because these seven things represent everything that God is not. So, here we go. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That speaks about our, you know, our privilege to be honest and, and how we compare ourselves with others. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that may haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Now for some of us, that's how we got through last week at work. Right? So I can break it down and we can analyze every single one of these seven things and, and and connect it to how they destroy healthy community. But but you get the idea, don't you? You get to the idea. If we skip leg day, this becomes who we are. This is our trajectory that we walk in. And that brings us to our third point: the oasis of wisdom. Now, thankfully, skipping leg day doesn't have to be a death sentence. We do not have to be stuck in death. We don't even have to be uh, relegated to the effects of isolation and community. Even if though you may feel that right here and right now. Put another way, Proverbs gives us another path through the mirage to an oasis. Another way to live. Another way to deal with our human motivation. So if mirage leads to fractured relationship, isolation, and death, then being in the right relationship with God, I've already said this before, leads to the ability to be into the right relationship with one another and to those around us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, wisdom, relational skill, rightly orients our autonomy. Wisdom, relational skill, rightly centers our need for competence and recognition for what we do. Because let me tell you, I struggle with here. I'm like, ooh, I wonder if they'll notice if I'm wearing the blue shirt today as I speak. I wonder if they notice my boots. You see, wisdom, relational skill, rightly orients my identity as I portray it to you. Wisdom, relational skill, rightly places our belonging, not just in our community, not in our neighborhoods, but actually with God himself. And it leads to human flourishing and not death or isolation. Wisdom and righteousness here in Proverbs provides us another way to be human, another way to be part of a community, not some sort of banal existence You know, trying to balance our motivations with me at the center of this twisted protection circle. No, it doesn't even provide us some sort of over-rise, you know, utopia. Look, I lived in an anarchist community. Let me tell you, I've, I've seen over-realized, you know, like utopia ideas. No, Proverbs shows us a different way. Turn with me to Proverbs 2, 1 to 10. And this is the other way. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, just to pause there for a second, if you seek for God as if your life depended on it, Oh, you'll find him. I can guarantee that. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is not a top 10, you know, like tips and tricks for a better relationship. It's more like kind of a Lord of the Rings meets the Pilgrim's Progress, kind of like lifelong journey sort of thing. See, when I was about 15, 16 years old, there's this old German guy. He was like 9 million years old, and he took me under his wing. And then I realized some time ago that I'm like, oh, that guy was probably about my age now. (laughs) Okay, this guy... He said, like, you want to grow in wisdom and knowledge, Heath? I'm like, yeah. As a 16-year-old, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that guy made me memorize this text. And I thought to myself, what a moron. Like, why would, like, what the heck is with this? But those seeds planted in my brain, that's why I've pondered, sought after, wondered about how people change and what community looks like. It's because of that old guy that I'm here this morning. And let me tell you from my experience, because I am old, it's a discipline. It's a discipline to work into. Bruce Waltke says, the inspired sage's conception of righteousness is socially transformative. It transforms the city of man into the city of God. From a culture that is metaphorically, and I would even say physically, dripping in red with blood, to a culture that is green with life. Christ City, the inspired sages' conception of wisdom and righteousness was a relational oasis, a community oasis. And that's what I've sought after my entire life. Being in right relationship with God leads us to have the ability to be in right relationship with those around us even when we have a hard time with those people. And you're like, Heath, yeah, I know, I get that. Come on, man. I've tried and it's hard. I've been wounded. I'm like, I just feel like giving up, Heath. Yeah, I've been there too. Living with the effects of elevated autonomy, it's exhausting and it's isolating. So here's our hope this morning what the sages looked for in in, in our text in Proverbs, what the sages hoped for, what what they longed for, what they taught forward for, this transformative principle of wisdom and righteousness, relational skill, we look back, we have the wonderful privilege to look back through the lens of Jesus. Think of how amazing that is. What we have tried and failed to do, Jesus has done that for us. Jesus, understanding that wisdom and righteousness is socially transformative, he reframes the whole book of Proverbs. So if you're, I'm just saying, if you're too lazy to read Proverbs this morning, (laughs) read some Jesus stuff, and you'll get to it in a minute. See, all of the wisdom, all of the righteousness, all of the knowledge, all the relational skill, all of that comes into one word. Can you guess what that one word is? Come on, it's a Sunday school answer, guys love. Jesus reframes all of the relational wisdom, knowledge, and understanding into one word, love. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. This is a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus' conception of love is socially transformative. Think about it. In the book of Proverbs, how were they, the Jewish people, to be distinct? By having social skill and wisdom and righteousness. As new believers in Jesus, how are we to have relational skill? In love. So how is this so? How has Jesus loved us? Well, he walked in wisdom and righteousness and perfect relational skill and disad- disadvantaged himself for the other. Now, I've known you. I know you've heard that in every single sermon all summer, but our familiarity with it does not change or make less true its transformative power. If you've walked in here this morning and you wonder, "Ah, I wonder what Christianity is all about," well, here you go. Jesus disadvantaged himself by dying on the cross to advantage us. Jesus acted in relational skill that, the, that we lack. So that we as foolish and wicked people, I'm talking about myself, can have his life of wisdom, his righteousness, and his relational skill. So that you and I can have his love so that we can love others, even if and when we skip leg day. Christ city, if this is if this is true, which I'm arguing pretty forcefully that it is, it is truly an oasis. What we have tried and failed to do, Jesus has done for us. I'm just going to insert Jesus into part of our text that I just read. Jesus gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Jesus stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Jesus is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Jesus guards the paths of justice. Jesus watches over the way of his saints. And through him, we will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. It is through Jesus that wisdom will come into our heart and knowledge will be pleasant to our souls. It is Jesus, Christ's city. Jesus is the way of life. This is the oasis of wisdom that the inspired sages looked forward to, and longed for. We have something that they didn't. We have the privilege to look back at Jesus. We can be empowered by his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Him being at the right hand of the Father, praying for us right now, and through his transformative power, we can walk in the way of wisdom. We can actually have relational skill, even when your neighbor's dog poops on your lawn again. Sorry, that was was a weird turn. That wasn't in my notes, to be clear. Christ City, do you see it? Without Jesus, I, Heath, I skip leg day every single time. And why do I do that? I do that to protect myself. And I do that because I need to advantage myself by disadvantaging you but it's because Jesus disadvantaged himself for me that I can love you. Because let me tell you, ask my wife, Mariko. She's sitting right there. I'm not that nice of a guy. You can ask Jake, too. He knows. See, it's it's through Jesus and his wisdom that I can be vulnerable with you. It's through Jesus that I can surrender my need for protection. It's through Jesus that that I can surrender my autonomy and my grasping at competence so that I can not only belong to you, but I can belong to the one who loves me, all my wicked warts and all. Full disclosure, I'm not that virtuous. Hmm. It is only through Jesus that I can disadvantage myself for the sake of my neighborhood. Because let me tell you, I would rather not live on the downtown east side. There are some days I wonder, but seeing the oasis in Jesus, I willingly surrender my autonomy, for His wisdom, for His righteousness, and through Jesus, I love my neighborhood. Through Jesus, I can see the downtown side with new eyes, and I can see it as an oasis, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. What I lose is a mirage. What I gain is an oasis. See, we all have troubles, Christ City you have troubles with community. Why? Because we are unwilling to do that, that thing. We, just like the culture around us, we think that skipping leg day is the only option that we have for a flourishing life. We functionally live as though disadvantaging ourselves for the other is stupid, foolish, and certainly a way to get yourself fired and taken advantage of at work. And we live this way And it bleeds into every relationship that we have. And it destroys us in ways that we do not even know. So we do not have to be stuck with the skinny, you know, supermodel legs. If relationality is a skill, if we are struggling and suffering in isolation, then through Jesus, we can become his disciples. We can belong, even when we feel all alone. We can grow in our love for one another and become a community that we so desperately long for. That's not a mirage, that's an oasis. And I know this to be true. I'm not selling you some sort of overrealized hope because I've seen my life change. I've seen my own life change. I know it's true because this has happened to me. I've grown, I've matured. Apparently, don't ask my wife. We can be a community that shows his love on full display for all to see. And this is amazing because this is something that right here, right now, our culture so desperately needs to see. It needs to see our love for one another as a transformative principle because otherwise they see us as dangerous and unhealthy. Let's pray. Lord, We come before you realizing that we are absolutely broken. And we we come before you realizing that we need grace and mercy that is found at your cross by your son's work on that cross right now. And Lord, we acknowledge that we don't have it together and we acknowledge that that it's a journey to learn to love and to learn to have wisdom and relational skill. But Lord, we ask that you'd empower us and day by day we would look and notice and see a difference in our lives because your son's work in our hearts. So this we pray. Amen.